Well, if you want to uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14, starting verse 23, uh, that's where we'll, we'll head this evening. This is uh, uh, an account that we reference a lot, but we've not really uh, had a sermon on in for some time. Uh, a couple years ago, you might have thought I was stuck on the book of Exodus and the uh, children of Israel uh, leaving uh, Egyptian uh, control. But in Exodus chapter 14, verse 23 through 28, it says, The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all the Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so they drove heavily or in some translations, slowly, or that it bogged them down. But, and then, then it says, the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. How many, how many know that God is fighting for you? Amen. Hmm, we need to work on that. I said, how many knows that God is fighting for you? Amen. I was beginning to think that maybe you guys don't ever endure any trials that you recognize that the devil is coming against you. Because that gets me excited to know that he is fighting for me because I get weary sometimes fighting against the enemy. Tonight's message, uh, we're, we're taking uh, some uh, pretty good amount of excerpts from uh, a Stephen Furtick message of Elevation Church. And, um, you know, he really drew his folks' attention to the fact, and I will to you tonight, that if you have not come to the realization yet, and I'm not talking about just realizing, an atheist can realize what we believe. They can come to the realization of what we believe, but when I say come to the realization, I mean you've come to the point where you believe something so hardcore that nobody can convince you otherwise, and it literally directs the way you live your daily life. And if you've not come to that kind of realization that there's a spiritual battle for your soul, and it is the connected dot to why you endure such hardship so many times and the trials you go to, then, then there's still confusion in your life that the Word of God needs to clear up for you. And it's the truth. And here's the thing is, people will not want to hear that when they're still stubbornly fighting against God because they still want to have their, they want their free will to dictate to God what they can and can't do. When they're confronted with the, uh, the, the fact that God wants them to relinquish their free will, not that he's taken it away, but they're submitting their will to his will, that's the point when you finally come to the realization, I can't fight this battle on my own. How many know that if God is for you, He is more powerful than anything in the world that could come against you? Amen. God is on your side. Nothing formed against you can prosper. And, and see, that's Isaiah 54, 17, and it says, No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Now, here's the thing. Isaiah was a smart, godly man, prophet. He didn't say, No weapon will be formed against you. Many Christians have the wrong mindset. They, they may tell you they believe this, but the way they live their life sometimes will say that they believe that God means that no weapon will be formed against you. And that's not what the scripture says. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. That, that's what he said. It's, seeing, it's, it's being formed. Keep in mind the weapon is being formed, but it will not work. I, I heard a story, true or not, I don't know, you know, maybe rumor, but um, a well-known TV preacher 
had, back in the early days, had a guy come in disgruntled and decided to fire some shots from a gun at him while he was preaching. And he raised the gun and he shot six shots and all of them missed him. And they found, and he was pointing right at him at close range. And when it was all said and done, the guy was apprehended. And, and so, but it, it went on either side of the preacher. They found the three shots on one side and three on the other. John Hagee, that's right. So whenever you see something being formed in your life that you can identify is, is obviously trying to dismantle to dismantle uh, everything that God wants for your life, that He's created for you, you have to take a deep breath and realize that it didn't say that the weapons would, that weapons would not be formed against you, it's just that they won't prosper, they won't work. It just means that everything the enemy tries to shoot you down with like a sniper is going to backfire and actually bring you to a place of greater purpose. You know, recently I had a conversation with someone who, who had been going through great trials. And, you know, every one of us handle our trials differently and we all fail in certain areas and are successful in others. But there comes a point sometimes when you're going through uh, difficulties with other people and, and there's, there's things that just seem foggy and you don't know what the problem is or why they're disgruntled at you or, or what the issue is. You can't seem to resolve it. There comes a time that if you stay the course with God, He begins to expose the hidden things. And if you stay on path with where God would, what God would expect you and how to handle that, then when He exposes the hidden things, then His vindication is what comes and sets you free. The truth will set you free. So many times when we've gotten in a battle with someone, another believer, and, and we conduct ourselves the way Scripture would tell us to, maybe we've gone to them in person, we've tried to resolve it, we've forgiven them in our hearts, we've done everything, but they're really holding on to it and they're just determined to destroy you. If you stay on course and do things God's way, you'll find that what the enemy tried to shoot you down with, like a sniper, it will backfire and actually bring you to a place of greater purpose. That's right. People should be amening. You know, I never expect that. I, I'm not saying I'm humble or anything. I just, you know, I know I'm working, I'm preaching better. And I'm not trying to make us do things out of a hype or ex just excitement because we're Pentecostal. But truth is, when the truth of God gets declared and I'm excited about it, I'm hoping you get excited about it too. We're talking, we're taking a minute here for you to get that warrior mentality that I talk about which might have seemed hokey to you in the beginning because you think pastor is just really caught up and still reliving his days in the Navy and just never wanted to leave. And wish. And yes, that's true. Sometimes I go back and just wish, I still wish I was like 5% body fat and could push my body weight all day long and just be tougher than nails. Every guy, you know, you watch a war flick and all of a sudden you want to be that guy. I get it. But here's the thing. What's been happening to me in service, what I hope has happened to others, is I can't hardly contain what God is putting in my heart. The truth of His Word is setting me free from things that have held me back for far too long and I can't any longer be calm about it. Amen. We've got to keep lively because someone is under attack right now. Somebody is being assaulted in the spiritual realm. Somebody is being chased right now. Like the Israelites being chased. It says the Lord fought for His people. Now drop down to verse 28 for the sake of time. We're going to go to verse 28. It says, The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. It backfired. What the enemy is trying to do to the Israelites there, it backfired. And the entire army of Pharaoh that followed the Israelites into the sea 
Not one of them survived. Not one. Not one of them survived. Home team 100. Opposing team 0. You're, you're, you're the home team at the game and your scoreboard just keeps clickering up and the other team's not making a move. And, and they're, they're failing and not one weapon worked. Not one thing the devil used against me to try to get me to quit was successful. You know what my hang-up is about the Navy and, and special warfare and wanting to be back there and have my second shot at it and not fail this time? is because one thing, they may be, there's a lot of guys messed up and committing suicide right now because of what they went through. And I don't wish that on myself. But there is a mantra, a thing that I heard over and over that, that in that community is drilled in and is part of them for the rest of their life. It's a never quit mentality. And they'll say, I can't afford the luxury of a quitter. You can't be down in the foxhole in the middle of a battle at night sitting in freezing cold water with mud on your face, big disgrace, about to get your can kicked all over the place. Sorry, that was Queen song. But <laughs> you're not, you can't be there. And then the guy next to you that's supposed to cover your back says, you know what, I'm scared, I'm tired of this, I'm going home. And the thing about them is when gunfire happens, they don't go around it or try to dodge it. Their, their goal is to run to the fight, to go to it, because the enemy would not expect that, right? right? The enemy would not expect you to turn around and run at them. Not one of them survived. Not one, not one. I love these victory accounts. I love the triumph of this battle. I love it because it tells me that when I get up, and, and there's one thing about my day that I worry about more than whether the bill comes due that I can't pay or whether my wife will be mad at me that day. Um, and she's not. It's okay. But whether I worry about, it's not that. The battle is within myself against myself. I've been mistaken so many times of being competitive with other people. And people think I'm trying to show people up or one up. I'm fighting myself all the time. Because I know complacency wants to set in, and I'd like nothing better than to just settle into what's comfortable, like anybody else would. But, but I realized early, and as I went through some battles, I realized that that is the killer, is the complacency. It, it's not the enemy, because God's got my back on that. My buddy in the trench, Jesus, who, who my, burden is, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. He's not going to leave me, nor forsake me in the battle. The battle is within myself, about myself. So I love these victory stories because it tells us so much about how we're challenged in the middle of trials. And there's something here for us today that's very specific. I want to speak to you about chasing the chariot that chased you. You're going to say, Pastor CJ, I don't think you got the story right because I've read this. I've read the context of this and I, I know that they don't turn around and chase the others. Well, hang on to your seats for a minute. We'll get there. Chasing the chariots that chased you and God will make you a champion out of that chase. It's a challenge. It's, it's a charge. It's really a command of how we're supposed to conduct ourselves in the battle to chase the chariot that chased us. So probably what we ought to do right now is make sure nobody is starting to go to sleep or to get distracted. So turn to the person next to you and say, chase the chariot. Okay, now... Just shake them up a little bit and yell it at them. I knew I could count on a few of you. All right. So you see the people of Israel, they've been enslaved for centuries. You know, here's the thing about the story that we forget because we focus in the one big event that's getting written about. 
We don't have everyday life for centuries of this captivity. We get this broad overview of what it was like, and then you get to the, you get to the crescendo at the end. But whipped daily, beaten, all they are is slave labor for another country. You know, the only way we could really get this story and for it to just tear us down and break us down and get us get is if the United States was taken captive right now and we were enslaved. And we were whipped and beaten to just work day after day. I heard one of the RV Maps people joking today, and I know their hearts, so I, I knew they were joking. And they said, they said, you know, I think I heard this right, but you know, I, I don't get paid for this. Uh, we don't get vacation. We don't get this. And talking about all the, uh, all the see, they didn't think I was listening. I... I I hear everything. And if I miss it, God can tell me. So, <laughs> but, but no, I, I get it because, because I feel that way sometimes. No matter what role in ministry, whether you're a lay person in your job or whatever, it, it happens because the enemy wants us to complain, and, and that wasn't a complaint. It was a joke. It was funny. But, but in reality, that joke, sometimes that really becomes the mode of our heart. Is, you know? Can I be real with you all for a minute? And I may step on a few toes, and you're going to think I may talk about you, and I have nobody in mind, if you can trust me on that. But I, before I was a pastor, I didn't realize the things I did to my pastors before that can aggravate a pastor. Like the person that always has ideas of what we should do, but they're never the person to want to do it. I'm the idea person. I'm going to tell you something that would be great for our church to do, but I don't want any part in telling you, I don't want any part of helping you get it done. I just want to see you work, because we pay you to work. This is your full-time job, Pastor. I have a full-time job. And it, and, it, and it gripes me to no end because, I mean, honestly, folks, I'm thankful for my job. I am. You know, maybe there's a time I, I complained, and I'll get to this a little bit later, a little more in depth, but maybe there's a time I complained and really meant it, but I know how blessed I am. To be... Given such an awesome responsibility, when you see these kids who since they're in class and Ken, we're careful about, there's kids here that maybe the night before or before they show up at New Song, they got yanked out of their home and their whole world turned upside down. And God has pulled them out of a horrible, abusive situation for them to sit here and for me to tell them how much God loves them. What more could you ask for from God than to give you that kind of, kind of opportunity? Oh, we want, we want the drug addicts to get saved, the prostitutes. I'm telling you, nothing more precious than a child who had no choice to be in the mess they're in, to be drugged into that situation, and God to, in the middle of the night, drag them out. And that's horrifying for them, and that's tragic for them at the moment. But the fact of the matter is, is God is proving that he is interacting in their life real time in a rescue mission. It's, it's like if the Navy SEALs just came into their house with lasers and guns and, you know, clear left, clear right. Boom, 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 boom. Because in the spiritual realm, that's what the angels are doing when they go in. The devil has a stronghold at home, and we can't see those things. The things are unseen, but that's what's happening. People who have done meth will tell you they see shadow people. It's a common thing. A drug cannot produce the same dream. It's proven. A drug cannot produce the same dream across all people with all different backgrounds and cultures. Yet there's a commonality in meth use where they see shadow people, and they... They talk to them in a language they understand, but they don't understand the words. Time and time again, people who have done math have told me this themselves. Without knowing the other person, told me the same account. The things that we don't see in the spiritual realm are there. 
And we get all excited about the warrior movies we see, and we should give, you know, uh, I'm, I did a very short time, I don't deserve this great accolades, but there's guys who literally put their life on the line for our freedom, and I get that. But nothing greater than in the spiritual realm where we can't see that demons literally have got people in a chokehold, a family, and there's an innocent child being held hostage there, and in comes the special forces of God who breaks down the door and brings them out of it and plants them where he can show them his love. The children of Israel are slaves for centuries, and so they're marching out boldly, and they believe God is getting them out, so they're, they're, they're strutting out. I mean, you've got to keep in mind, in this story, there wasn't guns a-blazing that got them out. It was the plagues that God brought, some, some very supernatural events that got them out. And, and it was def, definitely connected to Moses and what he was saying, so they knew his God. And So there's this brief moment where Pharaoh, in his world, loses his head and because of the grief and says, get out of here. But all of a sudden, in that moment of grief as a leader, and I've done that before, where you're just in a moment of grief, some, you know, you've got some grief going on, and you just blurt something out, and then all of a sudden the consequences of that come later. You're like, oh, wow, I shouldn't have done that. And their whole workforce has just left. They're free labor that they had to go to battle to get. And, you know, they're marching out boldly because they believe God's getting them out, so they're strutting out, boldly leaving the bondage. And, you know, it's easy to be bold before the battle begins. It's real easy for me to preach up here to a bunch of believers who are going to amen me. It's a whole different story when I have to pray for somebody and ask for deliverance over uh, addiction or a demonic oppression, and I don't see it happen immediately, and I start questioning, God, what's going on? Do I not have your power in me? Do I not have your Holy Spirit? What's going on? It's easy to be bold before the battle begins. It's easy to be bold before the bills have to be paid. It's easy to be bold when everything's going your way. So for a little while, they marched out of Egypt with great confidence with the wind at their back, feeling like every step was easy. But at some point, as they marched out on dry ground across the, the Red Sea, they heard this sound. They heard this methodical, fast-approaching sound. The sound of the chariot wheels coming. getting louder and louder. And I don't know if chariot wheels sound exactly like that, but that's the sound I can make for you tonight to give you the effect. So just imagine with me. Be a kid for a minute. Pharaoh had deployed 600 of his choice chariots. His special forces had gone out after him. Their goal to bring back the people that represented his entire labor force, put them back into bondage after centuries. They're finally free, and in the moment they're free, here it comes again. These people that were marching out boldly when they heard the sounds of chariots behind them, all of a sudden their boldness bowed down to the face of a battle. Man, there's some things that I feel like the Holy Spirit needs to tell us in this church and other churches. I'm sure it's not just us. Uh, so if you think I'm going to pick on you, I really feel like there's a culture going on in the church that needs to be corrected. And one thing is, it's one thing for us to have prayer requests. It's one thing for us to feel like we have needs. But when it is a mantra of ours and a focus on woe is me and all the troubles, and you don't ever hear the joy of the Lord busting out of people, there's something wrong there. They're, they're focused on the sound of the approaching chariots. All they're hearing is the ch 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 ch
They're focused on the, the enemy coming at them. And as the ch -ch chariots drove on, have you ever been ch -ch chased by somebody? Have you ever been chased by a decision you made when you were 16 or 17 years old? Chased by the memory of something or someone along the way? Maybe chased by the memory of something someone did to you that you had no control over many years ago or in your youth. Have you been chased by, have you been chased by maybe that bad decision you made to go to lunch with that person that wasn't your spouse, that was a business thing, but, but then out of curiosity it became something else? Have you ever been chased by, I'm not making fun of people who stutter, I have friends who stutter. I realize when I do that, that probably sounds bad. I wish there was a soundtrack for this, really, to, to do better than, than what I'm saying here. And, and uh, I don't know, Nathan, I don't know, you guys, Booth, can you help me out with a soundtrack that maybe would give us the effect of this? But, you know, here they are. They're going. And God's given them, God's given them the direction, right? And they're going, but they're, they're hearing these chariot wheels. Or, Right? Right? And so they're hearing this going. Come on. You've heard this song before, right? And, and, and they should be just focused on where they're headed, right? A runner focuses on where they're headed. But they're listening to other voices or other sounds. Like we listen to other voices sometimes. When we should be focused on what God has said. He's delivering us. He's given us the way to go. But we keep focusing on what's chasing us. And so, unfortunately, we don't hear this awesome sound of this music playing when we're doing it. Because I think I would probably sprout some wings and stop marching. I'd start flying, right? All right, guys, that's enough silliness. All right. That, that was fun for me if it wasn't for anybody else. So thank you for enduring my little sidebar. But this sound was not the theme of Chariots of Fire soundtrack. It was a scary sound. Maybe like the sound of the whips that were across their backs for, for years and years and years when they didn't work as they thought they should. You know, these chariots are not, you know, we think about chariots as something cool and of old Roman times and everything. But listen, when those chariots were coming, it wasn't, hey, we're going to get there and arm wrestle you like some Greek gods, you know, painting. We're, we're coming with sword and spear. We're coming to kill you. And maybe just a little bit of image to just imagine what rushing chariots would do. You guys help us with that too. Maybe you get the light so they can see. So can you imagine if they were to not just listen, but when that became a visual? I mean, when you had warriors chasing you with horses coming at you full blast and the dust of the desert flying up, and you can just see the cloud of your enemy coming. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying. It's a scary sound to hear the wheels of the chariot when you're on foot. You're not even on wheels. You can't even match their speed, but you're on foot. And it says that not only did the chariots ch chase the Israelites, but it says that the chariots eventually caught up with them. 
Have you ever had not only something chasing you, but it caught up with you? I've lived some lies before that I just knew as a matter of time before that lie was going to catch up with me. That it wasn't a matter of just running from it, that it was gaining ground on me. And we can look all confused about this, and no one will ever know that one time that we did that one thing that we're still hiding from. But we always feel like in our spirit it's gaining ground on us. But there's a time when stuff starts catching up with you. You can't hide it anymore. You can't outrun it anymore. And it says that the chariots at a certain place overtook the Israelites. Now I discovered that everybody is running from something. I used to think it was just me, and then I used to think it was me and people like me, and then I used to think it was people that were like me, and then other tribes close to my tribe. And, you know, I used to categorize myself in a group of people. I remember standing at a window at the end of my hall, my first year of Bible college, realizing how badly I had lived at one point. Standing there, I said first year, I guess that would be after I came back from the Navy, but I was standing there looking out and thinking about the fact that I'd never deserved anybody good to be my wife. That because of the way I had treated people in dating and because of the way I treated dating, that I didn't deserve to even stay married, that I'd probably be divorced multiple times, and I'd have all this. And you know, I said something Sunday, I want to go back because I don't want to ever give the feeling that I'm uh, being condemning or giving people a hard time about divorce because a lot of things happen in our journey. And I made a statement about, you know, people when they are going through a rough time and maybe getting ready to divorce that it's always the several time divorced person trying to give them advice and I want to I don't think I clarified what I meant by that it's the unbelieving person who keeps making the same mistakes who wants to share in their misery does that make sense but believers who have walked that journey just like someone who's gone through something else can speak to that situation because they've been there but they know what God wanted for them after that and can speak in their life and I never want to confuse uh, the difference between the enemy trying to share the misery around others of what he's done in other homes and what the believer who has gone through a battle can do to speak in the lives of others. But everybody's running from something. And one thing we have in common, who, everyone who came here tonight, young and old alike, is we're being chased by something. It might be fear. It might be anxiety. It might be just our overactive imagination. It might be guilt, but you're being chased. Chariots are coming up behind and, they're, and we're so afraid. And we turn back to Moses in our life. We turn back to the one that God put there to, to lead us out. Whoever he's put to lead us out of that, we'll turn back and we say, we'd rather live in captivity than die in freedom. Now, as Christians, we would hope that we're really not ever saying that, but I want to give you some examples. Well, I don't know about that going door-to-door -door thing, Pastor. That's not my thing. But I'm sure glad that someone gave me the gospel. And I just, I'm sorry, I just don't do that kind of thing. I, I'd, rather, I'd rather be captive to my fears about spreading the Word of God in different capacities than, than to live in the freedom of knowing that no weapon formed against you shall proper, prosper. So, you know, the rejection you may get out of door, or if they even throw something at you, which I've never heard of happening but around here, but if they throw something at you, that, that God's not going to let it finish you. And so sometimes we're like the Israelites and we turn and say, I'd rather die 
in captivity. I'd rather live in captivity than die in freedom. It's amazing how looking back can take all of your faith out of you. Looking back behind you at what's happened behind you often is the one thing that destroys your faith in the God that's trying to rescue you. To, to, to let the devil tell you you're not worth a second chance. You're not worth salvation. You're not worth a fresh start. As long as you're looking forward on the next step God is calling you to, all you'll ever see is waters parting. For those of you who look back too much, let me, let me just give you the image. If we look at this story, think about the fact that the ones that never looked back at the chariots, they might have heard them, but if there was any that was ignoring them, all they saw ahead of them was the supernatural waters being parted and walking on dry ground. When you're busy being rescued by God, Miracles happen around you and you don't have time to sit here and say, now how is that happening? Is that, is that fish, like, right there? Fish right there, look at that one. Right, you know? I mean, you don't stop in the middle of the battle, right, and be like, now God, this is just pretty awesome. Really? That's pretty awesome. You know, wait a minute. You know, I need to soak this up. I think I'll go to that, uh, monument of the ark they built just revel in the miraculous that you do but when it comes for you trying to do miraculous in my life I'm really kind of too busy for that I'd rather spectate at God's past goodness than be a part of the miracle at hand I'd rather I'd rather uh, I'd rather treat God's miracles like a history book than to be ready for the next one that's going to happen I'd rather, you know, this account with Moses, it's not like God was, uh, that the people of Israel were unfamiliar with the fact that God had done things for his people before. It's just that they've been in captivity so long, they're just not really believing that he could do it anymore. And so they were quick to complain. I mean, Moses, good grief, what'd you get us into? You come in, stir things up, you get us out, and we're excited about that. Yes, Moses, we're excited that you got us out of that problem. But here's the deal. They're looking back. We're going to die here. Thank you very much. And, and here's another point. I don't know how, I can't do this for you, okay? And I can't take credit for it happening to me. And this isn't a comparison to me to you. Because I don't even really know how it happened. But somewhere after I became pastor here, it wasn't when I became pastor, it was after that. There's a point where I really started believing in heaven like I never had before and eternal glory to where I just got unattached to here. And I think Jen will forgive me for this, but there's a point where my wife wasn't there and I could talk like, you know, man, I just wish God would take me right now. She's like, I don't. I'm like, well, honey, we got good life insurance. You and the kids are financially okay, but we need you. I'm like, not if God takes me. He, he has the keys to death, hell, and grave. You've got to understand that if he takes me, you're fine. You're fine now. You're fine then because you're not mine. I'm a steward, but you're his. In heaven, we won't be husband and wife. We're just children of God. Amen. And I think she's going to be really thankful for that. That's going to be a breath of fresh air for her because <laughs> she's like made this commitment now that she has to before God keep no matter what. And I am a pain to live with. And, and you know what? I'm laughing, but it is really just the honest truth. 
you know, that felt really freeing. You know, the truth will say free. Because I feel like I just confessed to everybody how hard Jen has it and, and got it off my chest. But it's true. I feel great. I feel like we could just end now. I, I don't know. I feel liberated. <laughs> I, I, I'm running this message. All right. But when you look back, the only thing you ever see is the wheels of the chariots and hear the sound of them when you're focused on what's coming after you. But, but if you are confident in what God is doing and you don't, you, you don't necessarily stop to look at the miracles, miracles around you, you just praise God it's happening, I'm going to keep going. See, a lot of us will pray, God, will you um, save that lost loved one of mine? Well, this is a sticky one. Save that lost loved one. And that lost loved one gets saved and guess Guess who's finding excuses not to be at church with them or disciple them? The very people that prayed for them for years would be there, but then they have, then, then the task has been accomplished and no more work to be done. And God put the burden on your heart. Oh, but that's because we're related. No, God made you a steward. The burden's on your heart because he wants you to continue the journey and they need disciples. And the weakest thing about churches today is discipleship, and we have programs for that. You know why we have programs for that? Because the pastors have a difficult time to just tell people the Word of God says you're supposed to disciple them, so we have to try to make it so easy that you'll just be like, okay, if you can tell me step one, two, three, I'll do it. You don't need, we have the same Holy Spirit in us. You have the same Bible I do, I hope. Unless you've been to the Mormon church, you may have a different one, but we can talk about that. So, but you have the same Bible, so you have the tools you have the Holy Spirit. The Word of God says that without the Holy Spirit, we can't even understand the Word of God. Without the illumination of that means that I can't preach to you without the help of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you can disciple people with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not giving myself an out to not equip you. I, that scares me. Nathan and Danny and I, they came to me. We've been trying to punch this out, figure out how we're going to create a discipleship program. But my one, wasn't it? My one requirement is, is that we just don't follow suit just because other churches have done this way and we do it Jesus' way. And that is walking life together people. You cannot have people saying, I'm going to disciple someone and say, let's meet for an hour once a week at the church and then I'll just read to you some scriptures and you'll fill in some blanks and you're just going to become a mature Christian. They need to see when you fail. They need to see when you make it. They need to see the, the battle. They need to know what it's like to see someone who hears the chariot wheels, who knows but is confident in God's path for them and just keeps going. I'm going to go back to, and, and see, this is awesome because Robin's here, and she started coming and found out me and Robin, God had put someone both in our, in, in our path who still is struggling. He's back in jail. But one, the first guy to walk through these doors who had the past, and then everybody else started coming after that. It opened the doors. It was Trey. We didn't have a ministry to jails. We didn't, I had never dealt with someone with drugs. I'd never done drugs. I'd never done addictions. And I'm not just picking on that, but it's been a theme, you know. And some of you know there's a stretch of highway that if I see somebody walking, God already, I already know I'm supposed to pick them up, and I can tell them what their problem is. The last guy, I shocked him. I said, get in the car. I know you just got out of jail, and I know you have an addiction. And he looked at me and said, you're a cop. He assumed I just came from the jail. I said, no, I'm a preacher, and God has proven it to me, and I'll tell you how. And each guy that gets, he get, they get saved. So, but, but Trey. So before I met Trey, Robin meets Trey because of someone she knows who is struggling and gives him a, prayer, a tape on prayer. Well, Trey comes back before he went into jail this last time and he sees Robin and he goes, I know her. She gave me this tape on prayer and I was, it wasn't it on prayer? 
And he, was, he, he said, I went to a skate park, where I, a skate park where I thought nobody would be there, and I turned it way down and rolled my windows up so I could just listen and nobody else here. And he said, all of a sudden, this guy taps on my window. And I rolled down. I said, hey, man, can you turn that up so we can all hear it? And it just shocked him because there was nobody within distance. This guy shows up, and so he turns up. And then he comes here, and he becomes a believer, and we baptize him, and he's still struggling, but we're walking journey. And so Trey said something to me. I tell you that because some of you have heard this before. I was trying to relate to Trey because I would not had his past. And so we were in my kitchen in Belle Vista at the time, and I said, Trey, man, I have done this, and I know that it's different than dealing with a drug addiction, but, man, I've done this. And he stopped me after a while. And you know how I talk, so... Some of you don't. So it took him a little bit to stop me. And he stopped me. And he said, CJ, I appreciate that you're trying to relate, but I don't need that. I know what it's like to be where I've been, but I don't know what it's like to be where you're going. And it hit me like brick. I said, dude, that's a John Maxwell like worthy quote. You, you need to write a book because that will sell the book. Best selling the Christian stores, you know. I don't need to know where you've been. I need to know where you're going. Trey had had an infusion and encounter with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, yeah, we already squared away what it's like to be back there. But he put him in my path because he needed to know how to get where I was going. And that's not to glorify me, that's to glorify God, because I've always said, if you see anything good in me, praise God, because it just means I got all the way long enough that Jesus shined through. Just one beggar trying to tell another beggar where to find bread. Before you, the waters are parting. Behind you, the wheels of the chariots are... Facing you. And your faith is dependent on which direction you're looking. So they're running and they're running and they're running, and God, for some reason, allows the chariots to catch up with them. Now, I can use this next uh, example safely because um, those that might consider themselves in the senior years, I only have known a few of you for a very short time, and the others I've known and watched your walk, so I'm not stepping on your toes. But I've grown up in churches where there has been a larger number of older people, and the older people always have a problem with the way the younger people are, are, are coming up, right, in the faith. But as a young person, you want to know one of the things that discouraged me the most? I will tell you exactly why I walked away from the church at one point. I told my mom, broke her heart, said, I'll never step foot in church again. It's not that I don't believe in God, but I'm done with church people. It's because the older people treat me terribly as a pastor's kid. They were rude and sharp and treated me like I, I was somehow owed them because of their tithe. And I had to act better than all the other kids at church because I was the pastor's kid. I only counted as an employee. And I got tired of that. And we were losing young people by the droves in the 80s and 90s because we all of a sudden got the pharisaical religion where once we got to a certain point arrived, we no longer were required to <coughs> disciple because I've already done that. And you've got to understand, now I'm in retirement from being a believer. And see, I'm safe here, right? Because we've got people who their hearts are tender. I've seen them break because of the Holy Spirit speaking to them. So you know I'm not stepping on your toes. But I, and it's not an age thing. I'm just telling you that the risk is you get to a certain place in your walk, even when you're younger, if you've been a Christian a long time, get in your place where you think somehow you're exonerated from actually doing the work of evangelism from discipling and making disciples. But you know, there's not an age limit or requirement. In, in fact, our young people are required. Uh, there's one thing that challenged me the most is when my little kids, when we're at the park and I'm wanting to sit and fiddle on my phone because I've done God's work and this is my downtime, and they're over chasing atheist kids. 
my parents said we're atheists. We don't listen to that. No, you got to hear about Jesus. To the point they're about to tog tie him and say, you got to. You're going to understand you're going to die and go to hell. You know? And I'm like, God, childlike faith, give me that fervor. Everywhere I go, the grocery store, the park, everywhere I'm going, you know what? Here's, here's the tough part. I've told you my weakness. Somebody cuts me off in traffic, and all of a sudden my Christianity seems like it's very much conditional. God, let me go fight this battle and kill them, and then let me come back to you and be okay. Let's just, like, you know how you can, like, just bleep, they bleep out the bad words on TV? Just give me a bleep for a minute, visual and sound-wise. Just bleep out, God, look away for a minute. Will this be done? And, and I'll clean up the mess after. You know, and, and the thing is, is that we need to realize that we are on dangerous ground when we give ourselves any kind of leeway to say, I don't have to keep running. Amen. I'm not worried about the chariots anymore. I've, I've gone through that enough. I'm not worried about anything catching me. In fact, I think I deserve to stop and spectate. All these other people need this. I think I, I've deserved the right to just look at the fish. And God says, that'd be great if you're the one who had control of the battle. But you're, you're, you're a victim of the battle. Not the one controlling it. And so the problem is, is that we're lulled into this thing of thinking that we can just take this little hiatus for however long or that we've arrived and the chariots are, are coming at us. So they're running, the children of Israel are running and running. We've already had enough movie clips. I was going to show you Forrest Gump. So him running and running. And for God, some reason, God allows the chariots to catch up with them. But not to kill them. Why even let them catch them if there's not any kind of, you know, good juicy story there? They, like, you know, that there's some kind of bottle and we get to, you know, they duke it out for a while and they still win. But why even let them catch them at all if you're not going to kill them? That doesn't make sense in battle. That, that, that if, if someone really could control a battle, like God was controlling that situation, why let the enemy get up close to them? Just give them, you know, it's much of them are fun when the winning team has 100 and the other ones have zero. And you can just say, big disgrace, we're kicking your can all over the place. And you're chanting, and you're kicking in the stands, right? And making the noise. But see, I think that what kills God's children, as I said before, in the area of faith is never the chariots chasing, but our complacency. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. It's never the chariots that are going to kill you. It's never the enemy that's going to kill you. We, we got all these things that we're running from. We got all these things we're afraid about. We, we've got all these things that we're catching up, that are catching up with us, yet it's never the chariots that kill you. It's not. I've been, in my short time of pastoring, I've been by the bedsides of people who have died. But their faith didn't. Because you'd see where maybe their children weren't raised in church and all of a sudden they take hold of that faith and they run with it. I've seen young men who have not been raised in church but because of their dad coming to know the Lord before he passes that they turn around and tell their mom, I think we might be preachers one day. So it's not the enemy chasing you. I've seen cancer take out the body, but it doesn't take out the faith. I've seen cancer catch up with 
a child of God and I've seen catcher, uh, cancer catch up with the body. But I've, I've seen also when a seed falls to the ground and dies, what's on the outside may waste away, but what was created on the inside begins to grow and flourish. But if you have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ burning inside of you, then even cancer can't kill you. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, if your body dies here, you'll still live. The chariots can't kill you. And you know, chariots can't kill a church. We've been attacked before. I've made some people mad. And they've left and they've gone out on a mission to talk bad about this church. And the thing is, they don't realize is they think they're hurting me because they think the church is mine. And it makes me mad not because they're saying things about me. I never get upset with that. It doesn't bother me. I'm like, I've heard worse. Usually, whatever they say, I've heard worse. I'm still waiting for somebody to to meet my match and they say something I just never would have thought could come. But it's not that. It's that they're coming against the flock that didn't do anything to hurt them. In fact, loved them. But they didn't like something about me or I did something or I had to hold them accountable or, or be that part of the shepherd where you have to correct the sheep and they get mad and so they, they lash out. So we've been attacked before. And I don't worry about that. You know, I've had people tell me, hey, so-and-so is going to come to the church and they're planning to come into service and wait for a particular moment when it's quiet and stand up and just let you have it and tell you and Jen off right in the service. And so they tell me, said, you better prepare. I said, prepare for what? Like, because they're going to disrupt the service. I said, well, I'm going to pray for them because I'm really worried about what the Holy Spirit's going to do about that for them. But I'm not going to do anything different. I don't even care when they're coming. Just forget it. You know, if you're not willing to pray about it and do spiritual battle with me, then just you don't worry about it. Those that, those that have faith in, in spiritual warfare will pray. But I don't need to worry about the drama. God's got that. If I'm doing what God has told me to do, if I'm running through on dry ground, He's opened the gates for me. I mean, I mean, literally, we're sprinting, not to the finish line, but to the next part of the race. When that building's built, we get there, but the job's not done. It's just a whole nother, nother level. And what do they say about when you get to a whole nother level of God? There's a whole nother devil, right? And so we're, we're not going to get done with a battle. It's just that we can't take time to stop and spectate and worry about what's chasing us. Oh, you're that church. Oh, you go to that church. You're, you're, your pastor's the roughneck pastor. He drives a really ugly diesel and motorcycles and doesn't know when to shave or cut his hair. and He does all that. And, and uh, you know, I, that's, that's that church. Yeah, it's that church that opened its doors to fire victims when we had an apartment complex fire. And we had service with about 15 people in the foyer around tables of clothes and the lady telling us to quit playing because it was bothering her while she got free clothes in here for that church. That really happened. She closed the door and said, can you guys cut that out? I don't want to hear that. Lady, you're in our... Oh, wait a minute, God. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm 6'1". I'm, I'm, I'm white, 6'1", and from, from Arkansas most of my life, so this is going to look really bad, but don't even try to tell me. <laughs> That's pretty pitiful, I know. But, you know, I felt that inside. Like, lady, who are you? I was here painting these walls. You're touching the paint. Get your hands off our paint. Get your free stained shirt and get out of here. But, you know, the Lord said, hey, 
Don't say anything. Just get up and open the door again and keep playing. I wasn't playing, but I just told you. Go on. Because no weapon formed against us shall prosper. We don't need to worry about the chariot chasing us, what's chasing us, the sound of the opposing enemy. We just need to keep going because God's parting the waters for us to move ahead. Yeah, we go to that church. We go to that church where we've, we've helped to feed the hungry and visit those in prison and we clothe the naked. Yeah, we're that church. That's exactly our church. But just because we have a strong church doesn't mean we won't be chased. And listen, I don't know how God could ever rescue from us because every church has this, but when you start going through a trial, you compartmentalize. We all do this naturally. We internalize that and say, this is my problem, not the church's problem. And what we do is we separate ourselves from the church for a while. I couldn't make it to church because of this. I couldn't make the church because of this. And you're going to think I'm talking about church attendance. I'm going to tell you why church attendance is important, and it's not because of numbers. It's because every week God is downloading to me the game plan for the following week. And we are a united team, a military force who is going against the spiritual darkness that's around us. And listen, I know things come up and things this, but listen, the devil's always going to have an excuse for us to not get together to know what's going on. And I can preach my heart out about something and somebody that's not there next week just says, oh, we're going through this and this. I'm like, the sermon would have helped you. And that's not on me. God provided you the advice you needed, but you chose to make something more important than come together with God's people and hearing his word. Oh, I listened to Brother So-and-so on the TV and that did it for me. I don't have anything against that, but listen, if you do that in the place of service, they've got a game plan. But listen, he's probably not coming to your house to help you through those trials. But the body here is meant to do that with you. And so we need to all understand where God's taken us. And there's been times I've had to preach on the same thing for like months just so we can finally everybody that filters through gets the same story. And I, I didn't realize God was doing that. And after I was like, wow, that was really ridiculous, God. I mean, three months on the sermon series, that's a community. That's rough. And then I started thinking, I was like, you know, really during that time we had this person missing, this person missing, this person missing, this person missing, this. And it took a while for everybody to get the same story. I think that's why he did it. Okay, it's getting quiet in here. I need to come up with something catchy that you turn and tell the person next to you so you can laugh. And just because we have a strong church doesn't mean we won't be chased. And listen, when you're being chased, that's not the time to go to your, your, your quiet place. I'm, I'm not talking about your prayer closet. Yes, that's the time. But when the church is meeting and you have a time to get together with brothers and sisters or call them up for coffee or get together with them, you need to run, baby, run. Run to the body. These people that will come against the church, they're, they've chased everyone because they're listening to gossip or they're stirring it up. And I, I'm sure I've deserved some of what people may say at times about me. I get that and I'm okay to take, take my lumps, but most of the time what they're doing is they're chasing what they can't have because God has said nothing can destroy the church. And when they let Satan get in the way and get a foothold, they start coming against the church because they can't have what God says will never be touched. And so it's almost like that thing when your parents say you can't have that as a kid. Because how many know sometimes we become spoiled rotten as believers? You can't have that. All of a sudden, I want that. I want my church to be okay with the way I want to live my life. And when I can't have that, I'm going to come against it. Because someone who is working against God's people can't kill the church. And if it's true for the church, it's true for your life. 
Chariots, chariots can't stop me. can't stop the church. It can't stop you. Even if they catch me, God will take their wheels off and throw them in the water. The speed of the chariot wheels were no match for the velocity of the waves God created to drown them. The miracles He'll create around your life will be so powerful no one will be able to come against you. I made a comment to someone who talked about some difficulties we've had with, um, well, we'll just leave it that on the project, with people outside the church who have authority. And I've been given some advice about how to tackle it. And I had a chance to go to a meeting that would have addressed that. And, you know, I prayed about it, and I just kept feeling like, don't go, don't go. I had a letter from our architect to address some of the problems. I could have taken that. And I just couldn't get a piece about it, so I didn't. Couldn't find out. The meeting didn't happen like we thought it was going to happen, and it would have made me look really stupid for showing up. God has always got your back as long as you keep your eyes forward on Him and the way He's provided for you, and He'll speak to your heart, and He'll rescue you. Even when you think something's about to catch you, He'll throw it into the sea. I don't know what chariots are chasing you today. We could talk it over coffee. That'd be more appropriate. If we took time for everybody to talk about the chariots that are chasing them right now, the things chasing them in life, we wouldn't have time all night long. But it can't kill you. Not the true part of you. Not your faith. Not if you don't let it. Not if you don't, if you don't stop. The only thing that could ever stop our church is if we stop stepping forward in faith. God will stop the chariots eventually. I can get on some bandwagons about when we need certain things in the church and people to fill those roles. And I believe God's got the people here. There's just someone not listening to the Holy Spirit telling them. Maybe they're not here yet, but whoever it is is supposed to come to church here. And then after the proved time, they're supposed to do children's ministry or whatever it is. But God's got it. But we have to keep pushing forward. And when our numbers may dwindle and we've got this big building project, and I just wrote a, well, I didn't write it yet, but we just got our first draw on the bank, and it was big because the dirt guy wants his money. And when I saw that money going over, it got real. I was like, oh, Lord, if these people leave me now. I mean, everybody made a commitment on the building fund. I'm, you know, This isn't trying to twist your arm. Just hear me out for a minute. But it's real. It really, I, I, I get fearful myself if I'm not careful. And I start listening to the chariots chasing me, right? What, what if the devil discourages the whole church? Everybody leaves me. I'm standing here holding the, holding the bill, you know? That's real for a pastor. Um, someone told me, recently, and I won't say because I think they might be here, that a pastor went to build a church and a big part of the church left and literally told the pastor, we'll be back when you get the building done. We'll be back when you're done. And knowing the pressure that I'm feeling, I'm thinking, what in the world? Who would do that? Who would do that? It's people listening to what's chasing them. We don't want to feel the pressure to have to step up and maybe sacrificially give of either time or finances. We don't want to be, we don't want to be there doing that. Um, I've seen churches where they go to build and everybody that has a skill set to build in the church leaves. Because in their mind, like, I don't want to be expected to work for free. I've seen that happen. I don't know what chariots are chasing you today, but I can tell you, they won't kill you. As long as the Israelites kept moving, miracles followed. And miracles will always follow a child of God running down the path that God has opened up for their freedom. Miracles dry up the moment you stop moving. Why, God, are miracles not happening in the United States like we hear of them in other countries? Maybe it's because we're too complacent and comfortable. 
As long as you keep moving, even if you have a moment of doubt, you're saying, God, I'm, I'm staying focused on what's in front of me, and he honors that. But I hear the chariots behind me, God. I hear the coming up on me. God, I, I see the horses. I see the nostrils flaring from the horses. They're coming hard and fast. Before you use what's coming against me, The thing is, is before we worry about what's coming against us, we need to realize that what's chasing us, God will use to glorify him if we stay on the path. Here, here's the thing I've been saving for the end. This is the part of the story that I think that is, it's not there, but I think God wants us to see. And here's the deal. In the scripture it says, at some point that they're catching up with the Israelites, I said, why would God do that? Why would he let them get so close to being captured? And I, Because I think God knew if they didn't have something chasing them, they might stop moving forward. You know, here's the thing. Sometimes God wants us, uh, we, we set up a permanent home where God wants us to just put up a tent. He, he wants us to be in some place temporary. Maybe that's spiritual, maybe that's a physical location, but he wants us to be temporary, and we get all comfortable and complacent. And God knew that the pressure had to be on or else they would have just camped on the bank for a long time and never headed towards the promised land. And here's the other kicker to this. It says at some point the enemy, because God's bogging down the wheels, they realize, the enemy realizes that that's happening because their God is fighting for them and they turn around and say, let's get away from the Israelites. And it proves to me, they kept going, but you know what they could have done? And I know this without a doubt. I know what God's saying in the scripture. I'd never caught it until I studied for this. And, and when Pastor Furtick, when he brought this out, it amazed me, Danny. And we talk about whether we like him or not, we're not sure. But this, he was spot on. Is The thing is, is God was giving them victory. They could have turned around and chased the enemy back. They could have. They could have chased what was chasing them because God was giving them the victory. The enemy that was pursuing them started running away. And I think the lesson for that is, as we pray sometimes for victory over a trial, and God gives us that trial, or gives us a victory, and we relax in that instead of getting the fight in us and say, if God did that, then I'm going to give the devil a real kick in the teeth. God saved that, uh, that loved one you've been praying for? Great, let's find out who their friends have been. Let's go after them. The ones that influenced them to go the other way, let's go after them. Tell me their names. You may not be ready to go face that because you just come out of that and you need a time to be separate and, and get strong, but tell me their names. I'm going to go tell them what God's doing in your life and I'm going to witness to them. I, I'm not going to let the devil just uh, lose one. I want to take everyone that he's got. I want to take everyone. I want to go to the enemy's camp and take back what he stole from us and clear back to the garden he's stolen from God's people. When one day we're going to be in heaven and we're going to stand there and, and I'm afraid we're going to have this reality moment where we just say, oh crud, I had so much opportunity I wasted. This is awesome and there should be so many more people here and people I don't even know but I could have known. I just should have made it the most important thing ever for me. And instead of the boss's voice, tell me I'm getting ready to get fired, think, yeah, but he's not going to kill me. He, 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 may, he may cause me to lose this job, but you know what? I really believe there's an attorney, and I don't have time for this. And I pray that I'm not just saying this, and I don't mean it bragging, but I pray that if God would ever remove me from pastoring back into lay ministry and working at Walmart, 
that it would intensify what he started doing before. Because Sandy that comes sometimes, me and Sandy had prayer in my office against the rules. Because God is greater. And he gave favor. And we started a prayer meeting outside of CMI against the rules. And 70 people showed up. And we shouted down outside with 70 people praying for somebody's healing that everybody loved. And the next day, 50 came in. And one of the directors, the higher-ups, comes in and goes, I'm Pentecostal. I hope everybody's okay if I shout. That happened at work. And guess what? A year later, Don Soderquist, some of you know how big he was with Walmart. And apparently, he goes to the donut shop right by where we're at. And we're out there circle up praying. And he walks up and says, can I pray with you all? And some of the people I worried about shutting us down, the higher-ups, happened to be walking by. And they saw Don Soderquist circle up with praying. Nobody touched us after that. And so we decided to start having potlucks like a church. And so even when they didn't have food days at work, we would come early for work and we'd have prayer and we would eat. Or we'd have our lunch time together. And it was a church within Walmart. And some of you will say, yeah, but that's you, Pastor CJ. God did that for you. I can only account for one thing of why he did that. It's because he's preparing me for the miracle that was about to happen in front of me and delivered me finally from the bondage of running from my call and put me in the ministry spot he always had for me. And all I had to do is say, God, I'm willing to go if you'll make the way. And everything started happening in rapid succession after that. Some of you need to just pray that. Some of you just need to pray, God, I'm tired of being chased. Not only that, you take care of that, and I'll, I'll run after what's been chasing me. Those things that I've been fighting, I, I will be on your team. I will be your special forces. I will storm the gates of hell if I have to with a water gun, but I'll do it. We have, when I stood out there today, and I walked around that kid's room, you know what I thought? It's not big enough. Doggone it. Why did I have such little faith? We, we put it on a budget. I was like, this needs to be three times this size. I can't wait for phase two. God, we need it now. Why didn't I make these 10-foot ceilings instead so we could make a bigger platform so more kids could see the teacher? That's why I, I'm not... See, some of us have, have bought into the drama of the world and we complain about the things that are good instead of complaining about the things that could be better. Like, like what I'm saying is, is we get caught up in politics and all this stuff and the mudslinging I've talked about before, and it's like we, we carry on drama in our pocket like it's a Pez dispenser. I'll just have a little more, please. I'll just take another one. I'll just have a little more. We get addicted to this drama, and I get tired of us talking about how bad the world is. is it's always been bad. You know what's happening? It's just that more complainers are being born every day to replace the ones that passed the day before. And so there's just a plenty of complainers. And I'm going to tell you that we complain about things like our job. Well, then you don't deserve it. Because in God's justice, if you complain about something he's provided for you, then you don't deserve it. It's the grace of God that he's allowing your, his bo your boss to tolerate your bad attitude long enough to not set you free to go do whatever you're meant to do. I like what Dave Ramsey says, and I followed it as a manager at Walmart. If you complain about being here, then it's my job to set you free to go on to whatever's going to make you happy. I'll promote you to customer. You don't like being an employee, then I'll promote you to customer, and then you can have that promotion you think you deserve. And we complain and complain and complain, and God has given us this seat empty. He's given us this seat empty. This one's empty. This one's empty. This one's empty. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, thirty-three, thirty-four, 
35, 36, Andrew, you're taking up two. 37, 38, 39, 40, pray for Andrew, he doesn't have evangelistic mindset. 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, we have more in the four year. 55, 56. So anyway, we have at least 60 chairs that that's your mission tomorrow. I don't know how many we got in here, but that's probably at least two each. You see what I'm saying? We complain about how early we got to get up in the morning, but then we go to the gas station and we ignore all the people who are going through a divorce that just gave us our change back. We complain that we had to walk in because they didn't fill out the receipt thing instead of looking in their eyes and see if maybe the Holy Spirit would speak that there's something going on. Yeah. I told you about we had a banker in here recently that we're talking and she's just talking business and everything's going fine and Jen's over here in the coffee area and I'm back there in the office and I have the door open to make sure that my wife's to me and she's just, everything's fine. I look at her and I said, I said, I said, are you okay? And tears started to stream. I didn't know. I don't know why I said it. And all of a sudden, I said, it's not okay, is it? And she broke. And going through struggles, major struggles. And that, that's happened several times. Nathan was there one, one day when she came back. And we've there's been several instances like that where if you just pay attention, if you just pay attention to the miracles around you, the miracles are that God's given you opportunity to literally, with the power of God, take lives that are crushed and see them mended. To reach into situations, to, to actually not even be able to see them, but know that the angels of heaven are coming in like special forces and busting in the room and doing a rescue mission because you stepped out in faith. And, and I know, God, the story happened like it did, but man, I just wish children of Israel would turn around and chase them back. Just to give them a little run. And then if the water wanted to crash on before they got to shore, that would have been great too. But just, just to say, you know what? We're not afraid of you. And I am not afraid of what the enemy wants to do as long as I keep my eyes forward and keep going. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for, for your word and for the challenge tonight. And Lord, I thank you for other ministers of the gospel that you spoke these things to, God, and that, that we're sharing this message, Lord, that, that you're challenging our hearts to, to no longer listen to what's chasing us. But God, that we know that you've got that. We've got to worry about ourselves and the complacency that the battle is, is whether we're going to just get too comfortable and we're going we're gonna, to uh, not realize that we're being chased and that, that your intention is, is that we get lit up and we turn around and chase what was chasing us. That you create champions out of, out of the chase. Lord, young and old alike, we all need this. There's so little time. Preachers have been saying that for decades, Lord, but it's more true now than ever before. There's very little time. And God, there's people all around lost and dying. I pray, Lord, that right now, in some of these hearts, that the supernatural thing you do is tomorrow you can't shut them up. Not that you would, but they won't be shut up about you. I pray that you start a fire in, in their heart that they just can't quit talking about you. And from that, the abundance of what's going on in their heart will overflow to others. And God, they will come to realize that there's something missing in their life and the brokenness. And that's all it takes is the truth of your word to set them free. Lord, help us to study your word, to memorize scripture, to have it hidden in our hearts that we won't sin against you. And also, Lord, that when we speak out your word, it won't return void and others will come to know you, that the power of your word will set them free. Amen. God, help us quit complaining about what the way the world is and do something about it. I'm asking, Lord, for myself 
Whatever it takes. I pray for the operation of the gifts in this church, that God, that's something that needs to set people free. Not miracles for miracles' sake, but miracles because they're the path you're heading and you're parting the waters. And they're happening around us because we're doing and we're moving forward. And because of that, you're providing miraculous paths for us to go through. But Lord, we are able to raise those up who cannot walk because of the fact that we've stepped out and we've stopped being complacent and that God, you've provided the way for us to see the miraculous happen. We just ask this, Lord, that you... you Bury this in our hearts that God, uh, what I heard Pastor Brian Jarrett say, a holy discontentment, let it keep us up at night. God, I remember before I became pastor here, 3 a.m., over and over, 3 a.m., you kept waking me up, 3 a.m. I never could understand it, God, but every time I knew it was you and that you had a message for me. God, I pray you wake us up, make us uncomfortable, that we can't sleep easy until we've done what you've asked us to do. I pray it in Jesus' name. This is how I'd like to end. We're, we're over time uh, in the natural. This is how I'd like to end this. I, I, there's times I think we should flood these altars. There's times I think we should do uh, different things, and that's why I fill my spirit. But tonight, what I want you to do is, if you have a pen and paper, I want you to get that out. And if you don't, I want you to do like I do when I want to memorize something and keep saying it over and over and over, okay? But if you have a pen and paper, get it out. I didn't plan this. It's on my notes. I want you to write down, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. I think you can remember that if you don't write it down. And this is what I want you to do with it. I want you to go home and find tape or something. And I want you to put that up on the mirror or wherever you're going to see it in the morning. Do the work of an evangelist. And I want that to just echo in your heart. And I want you to see it so often that you cannot quit thinking about it. Do the work of an evangelist. And one more thing I want you to write down. When that has got hold of you, and you start doing the work of evangelists, then you need to put another note up that says, go and make disciples. Because once you lead them to the Lord, they're yours. Bring them to church. Introduce me. Don't, don't introduce me with the intent of hand them off. Okay? They're yours. That's scary for some, but I'm going to tell you, it's some of the greatest blessings of those long hours with someone when you're weary and your flesh is saying, I wish they'd shut up and let me go to home and go to sleep. But then you see God start to do things in their life. You're like, that's awesome. Thank you, Lord. It's awesome. It was all worth it. It's all, you know, it's all worth it, right? It's easy before the battle starts to get excited about the battle. But man, I can't imagine when they got the other side of that water and their enemies doing the dead man's float. I mean, if they had been whipped so bad that they were having trouble walking, I imagine those people are probably jumping five feet off the ground. I mean, to see God in that amazing capacity, that's what I want in my life. God, don't just help me to defeat the enemy, but keep me headed towards what you want me to do. Amen. Don't ever let me stop. Don't let me set up, don't let me set up the permanent home. Just help, help me to get my tent there long enough until you're ready to send me on. Yeah. And let's keep going. So do the work of evangelist. And once you know that that's buried in and you're doing it, you're seeing it happen, then go and make disciples. Amen? Amen. All right. Love y'all. God bless you.